Welcome to the very first episode of Marketing for Good. Today, we will be chatting with Joanne Pillai from LeapFrog Research, answering all of your burning questions around research in the marketing field. We really like working with clients who want to meet their purpose, grow their purpose in anything where marketing can add to people's quality of life, or as we say, marketing for good. No matter your industry or field of work, odds are that the last few years have left you feeling a little lost. Do you want to get to know your customers, employees, or stakeholders in a more in-depth and strategically inclined way? Research could be your answer, but where to start? What's the most effective approach, and how can you make your budget, no matter how big or small, work for you? Joanne Pillai has been working in the research field for over 20 years, with experience across industries including education, the arts, FMCG, and other businesses. Some of the accounts she's had the pleasure of working with include Lego, Moyer Group, Kineo, and New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. What she loves most about her job is the variety of topics and work undertaken. She says there's always something new to help our clients discover more about their brands, products, and services. She joined the LeapFrog research team in May 2021, our very own research branch at Juntos Marketing. Often, her research is what fuels the strategy behind our award-winning campaigns. On behalf of the whole team, we would like to welcome Joe to the show. Um, hello, Joe. Thank you so much for chatting, us, chatting to us today. I think we're all really looking forward to learning a bit more about what you do and how you do it and hopefully answering some of the questions that people might have around research and how to approach it. Uh, thanks, Carolyn. Um, so I'm going to take you through a little bit about um, research today. Um, one of the things I really love about research is that there's so many things that our clients can discover through research to help them to achieve their goals, particularly in 2022, um, when lots changed. So lots to talk about. Sounds Great. Thanks, Joe. So uh, we've had a few questions um, from our team and um, also some common questions that we get asked from our clients. So I thought I would start by saying to you, what are the most common questions that you hear about research? Yeah, so I think um, the, the reasons that people come to look for research are really, really varied. Um, and I think you know, the, the list of, of things that people are researching is endless. Um, so some of them tend to be kind of your more, your more standard um, scope of things. So they're interested in better understanding um, their customers or not only who their customers are in terms of the demographics, but understanding um, their customers' behaviours and beliefs. Um, so that they can make sure that their products and services are aligned um, and to make sure that they're getting, um, I guess, the most out of their marketing and making sure that, that all of those areas are focused. Um, I think also we get lots of, lots of um, research and, uh, around uh, understanding um, their the understanding and the awareness and perceptions of their brand um, and also their products and services as well. Um, and also then um, 
evaluation of campaigns seems to be mm. another big one. Um, and that's, that's really around um, both the effectiveness but also the impact um, and measuring that, that impact and, and where they're seeing, seeing um, not only uh, reach in terms of audience but reach in terms of um, changes in awareness or recall of, of the messages that they're trying to communicate. I imagine sometimes that might also be even measuring some changes of behaviour. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, and we've definitely done research along those lines um, in terms of reported behaviour, um, looking at different groups and those who are aware of campaigns and those who aren't, um, or looking at change over years um, that campaigns have run. Um, so that that's all, all um, I guess, the, the general things that you see coming through a lot in people looking for research. Um, you also get really specific things. So um, particular programs of research that are around, I think particularly in policy area. Um, I, I know um, very, very early in my career, I was involved in um, some work um, on drug and alcohol use. Um, and it was research undertaken in schools with school students. So it was a huge undertaking, but it was, it was very, very um, specific um, around the things that they were measuring. And part of that is because of, of the stakeholders in, involved, um, not only, um, I guess, in, in a school setting, but, but also with vulnerable people. Um, mm. so, so I think the, the scope of research is, is really, really broad and there's opportunity to answer almost any question. Um, if you've got enough budget and enough time. <laughs> um, but, so, so, you know, like, the, there's lots of things. I think um, one of the ones that we've worked on recently that was really um, interesting was looking at um, barriers to people using particular products and services. Um, so that, that's another one that um, is relevant to most, most businesses, looking at what are the barriers to people accessing um, their products. Mm, very topical at the moment, you know, looking at some of the public health initiatives and really trying, you know, I imagine some of those teams are looking at barriers as well. To yeah. That, take of, for example, vaccination. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's right. And um, I, I think that there's um, a lot that go, goes into those re that research and it's often a, a large, a large scope, um, mm. but there are lots of components to it. So even if you don't have, the budget that you might have if you're looking at um, vaccine hesitancy, um, barriers to individual um, product or service use can, can be, can start small. It can be um, speaking to people who you would identify as prospective clients about what's stopping them from, from taking that next step with your product. Um, so I think the research can be really large scale, but it can also be um, more immediate than that. Um, mm. to, to get um, immediate insights into um, what's not quite working with a process um, mm. or a service. I can imagine for some clients that can sound a bit negative initially to be thinking about barriers, but in fact what you're doing is you're almost taking down, you know, taking down a, a hurdle. Yeah, and I think that it gives you a good opportunity to then identify what your opportunities are um, because until you understand what's stopping people from from using your service, it's it's really hard to address that. Um, mm. So, 
So understanding what could be a barrier gives you the opportunity to um, be ahead of the rest of your market um, mm. and really make sure that your, your product can be available and relevant to as many people as possible. Mm. That's great. Thanks, Joe. Very interesting. I think we could probably keep delving down that <laughs> path for another 45 minutes. But um, another question, you know, you mentioned um, there's a real breadth of types of research and you outlined some, you know, really good examples. But I'm imagining that there's also a real breadth of people who actually, and roles of people who actually come and ask for research. So who, if you had to categorise them, who are the people that yeah. come and ask for research, in whether that's by industry or job title or another way of looking at it? Uh, so I think a lot of the people that I tend to work with and hear from um, probably the largest number of them are people who have research or insights roles within their organisations. Um, mm. And that's definitely true of bigger organisations. Um, but, you know, if I, if I was to look through, through my emails at the, the contacts that I have there and the people that I'm dealing with, you know, there's, there's quite a range. Um, marketing managers, uh, business advisors, um, presidents, CFOs, directors, um, particularly of small, medium um, sized organizations tend to tend to be contacts, um, project managers, customer service managers, uh, product product managers. They're, they're all the types of people who, who have questions that research can answer. Um, and I think that, you know, anything that they want to better understand or to measure can, can be addressed by research. And so we see, well, while your research and insight managers tend to be the people most research savvy and most confident in seeking out research, I think um, there's lots of other opportunities and we see that with some of the other, other um, types of people that we have coming through. I'm just yeah. curious, Joe. it sounds like you have so many, like such a variety of people that you talk to and such different knowledge levels. Like how do you, <laughs> how do you translate when they tell you what they need how do you kind of get from, you know, somebody who has no knowledge in research at all and they have a goal? How do you kind of, what's your path to hearing them out and then actioning that? Yeah, I think that um, with research, communication is really important throughout um, at that initial stage, but also through, throughout the process. Um, and it, it sometimes sounds a little bit cliched, but trying to work as a, a partner for your clients and also with your suppliers so that there's that open dialogue throughout um, about um, where you can go, go next and, and what are the implications of decisions. Um, at the, the really initial stage, I think the, the key is to asking a lot of questions um, because the better I understand what somebody's looking for, the better I can design a program of research that's going to meet those needs. Um, but I think also recognising that um, not everybody knows a lot about research um, and what the benefits and the limitations of the research might be. So um, being prepared to explain all of that as we go. And um, I... I I don't like to kind of say handholding too much because it's a, you know, it's 
it's something that can be seen negatively. But I think in a research process, it's actually a really positive one um, because um, you do research every day. There's there's certain things that you understand in terms of um, approach or or implications or all of those things that I know because it's my job and I do it every day and I think it's just that's just a normal thing to know, right? <laughs> um, but recognizing that the people that I'm dealing with often don't come from a research background, um, so being happy to talk them through um, what our recommendations are um, in terms of approach or talking them through um, what it means to have a bigger sample size versus smaller sample size and all the things that, that go with that around, um, you know, reliability and margin of error, and all of those things. Um, it's a really important step um, and it can take a lot of time in the leading, but it means that um, when it comes to talking about the results and the recommendations going forward, um, they have a much better understanding about the context of those results as well. So I think that it's, it's really important to, to spend that time up front um, because that's why they're coming to us because they, they don't necessarily have the capacity or the knowledge or the resources to, to do these things themselves. Does that make sense a little? <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense, Joe. and it's really interesting, I think. Um, sorry, naughty dog. It's really interesting, I think, sometimes to, as part of that iterative process with clients, um, you know, the more the conversation goes and the clients share, um, you know, perhaps something that they don't, might not have thought particularly important, Perhaps that's something that adds to the mix and changes slightly what you might recommend or yeah, and opens good, new opportunities. Yeah, it's a good point because, you know, while I say that, you know, research is the thing that I do every day, they're the ones doing their business every day. So um, the more questions that, that I can ask and get that better understanding, even of those things that they don't necessarily think that they're just like, oh, that's the thing I do every day. It's not something that's important. Um, you know, it, it's really getting that understanding um, of their businesses as much as we can. And, um, and that's, I guess, part of the um, thing that's really nice about the clients that we have that we do ongoing research with. Um, because with, with every project, um, we're learning a bit more about their business while we're, while we're helping them to understand their business. It's a nice way to think about it. So um, just, I suppose, taking the next step from there, um, once you've had, you know, developed that depth of understanding of what, that, mm -hmm. what a particular client might be after and, and a little more about their organisation, how, you know, when, when you're thinking about the work that LeapFrog Research does, how do you decide the most effective approach? Yeah, so I think um, it's really a case-by-case -case basis and I think that um, because all of the research that we do is customised to the, the client's needs, um, that understanding is really important. Um, but once, once we kind of, we're, we're at that point, we feel that we have um, a good or, uh, I guess, adequate understanding of the client's business to kind of start thinking about the next steps. Um, 
really, I think the thing to think about is what we're trying to achieve with the research. So are we looking um, to understand something better or, or are we looking to measure something? Um, who are the audience that we want to speak to? Um, how accessible is that target market um, that we want to speak with? What are the timing constraints? Do the results um, need to be delivered to make a decision? Um, and what, what kind of timing goes around that? What's the budget and what, what um, will that budget allow us to do in order to best answer those research aims? Um, and I think as well, it's really important to think about what the research will be used for, um, because that can also have an impact on um, what, what will be important when designing the research. So um, something that um, is going to be used to make a decision that will change the way the, the, the change of direction of a business, obviously you want to be much, 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 much more confident in those results than you do necessarily in, um, in, in some other piece of research that, that's important, but not as um, integral, I guess, to, to the way um, the business looks to the future. Um, so I think those, those decisions, um, understanding what research will be used for is important when, when you're thinking about how you design that research as well. Um, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. What about? So, um, sorry. No, no. I was going to say just, and then just kind of bringing all of that together and understanding those points um, allows you to kind of think about a solution that's going to fit that particular client um, for this research need. Yeah. So what? A, what? Um, how, sometimes people will come with quite a fixed idea about. <laughs> Um, the, the methodology, the research yep. methodology. So they might come to Leapfrog and say, we're after a survey or we'd like to do some in-depth interviews or mm -hmm. whatever, or we want to do focus groups, for example. Yep. Um, what are the watchouts if um, people are coming with quite a clear idea of methodology? Yeah, um, I don't think that that's necessarily a problem, but I don't think that that means that we shouldn't do that planning work in the beginning. So we still need to understand all of those things that that we would need to understand when if if they had no idea what kind of research they wanted. Because I think with, with research, there's often lots of ways to approach the same questions, um, and it's not necessarily that one way is better than another, um, but certain things will answer certain needs better than others. Um, and all of those things play into that. Um, but I think if they have a particular way that they want to approach the research and we're satisfied that it's going to meet all of those research needs that I, that I mentioned in terms of um, um, answering their questions and um, providing them with the most reliable data that we can for the budget that they have and the time and constraints and um, their audience and being able to access those audiences. Um, I don't think that there's a problem with accommodating particular approaches um, if we're satisfied that that will work for, for the project. And I think um, 
we, we've had some some good examples of this. Um, there was um, earlier last year there was some a project that we we did um, in um, a, a regional town of New South Wales um, where the client was particularly interested in in a particular approach. Um, which may not have necessarily been the approach that we would have recommended without their strong interest in, in doing it that way. Um, so I think there was an opportunity for us to listen to um, our clients' reasoning and what they were looking for, but also to do um, independently of that, do our own research um, in that particular area to understand how we were best going to access um, the respondents that we wanted to. Um, it, while we've done lots of work in regional areas before, it wasn't a regional area that we'd particularly um, worked in before. So understanding how best to access those, those people in that area was important. And I think that um, listening to the clients um, on this occasion was really important because they were they were members of that community um, and had a really good understanding of um, how that people in that community lived and worked and how how we could access those people. Um, so I think that um, while while it can be dangerous to blindly blindly follow whatever it is that your clients want, I think it's also really important to to listen to them because often they have a lot of knowledge about. Um, their target audiences and how to speak to them, um, but I think we also bring a lot of a lot of expertise. So we want to to make sure that those decisions are the right ones. And I think that um, again, working in that partnership means that we both get to bring our strengths to the table when we're designing the research and and how it proceeds. Mm, I think that's a great example of you know what why our you know one of our fundamental values is around collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, for both leapfrog research and for Juntos marketing that um, bringing the, the knowledge and expertise from the client as well as from our side. Um, so another question that we've had quite often um, asked Joe is how often should you do research? I think you should do research constantly and in an ideal world everyone would have endless budget and uh, we, we just research we just have a have research ongoing for everybody all of the time um, but realistically I, I think there are very few businesses who um, have the luxury of, of being able to just have an ongoing um, program of research so I think that really it comes down to priorities um, for the business I think that the research that you're doing needs to make the best use of your budget um, so by prioritising um, what those questions are for your business um, will help determine how often you should be doing research. Um, and your budget will also determine how often you should be doing research um, because it needs to be sustainable. Um, I, think, I think there's a lot of benefit in tracking surveys. So um, while they can be reasonably small surveys that are conducted quarterly or monthly or every six months or every year. The benefit of tracking surveys is that you can build on knowledge over time. 
Um, so while you may only have a few hundred completes each time you run your research, you know, if you're doing that every six months um, or every year, um, it actually gives you quite a decent um, sized data set um, and gives you the ability to look at the impacts of the work that you're doing and also to look at changes over time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to forget about what was happening a year or two years ago. So being able to, to look at those, those time series um, data sets are, is a really, I think it's a really important tool to kind of see how the business has changed and progressed over time. Um, so I think for me, if, if, if budget allows, um, and if your priorities allow, I think those those ongoing studies, even if they're you know not constant, but um, regularly done, um, in some ways give the most bang for your buck. Um, That's really interesting to hear. Yeah. I have a question around like accessibility and and how do you like how do you get people to take the surveys? You know, if, if you have an audience that's not particularly um, you know, they don't chat back often or, you know, yeah. they're not really engaged and, and you're trying to do research to get them engaged. What, what mm -hmm. kind of incentives can you give if you have budget for it? Or what, what have you seen in the past where people, you know, are eager to take surveys or made eager? Yeah. So I think research has changed a little bit over the years and it now relies, you know, where, um, many, 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 many years ago, um, there was a there was a lot more. You know, you had your your randoms, your more random surveys. So, um, they, none of them were were particularly. They they all anyway. Limitations of research. They they uh, they had more scope to talk to people who weren't necessarily um, interested in research. Um, so there's things like, you know, um, somebody coming to your door and asking you to do a survey or somebody calling your home phone and asking you to, to do a survey. Um, that's changed over time. And there are lots of reasons that that, that has changed. Um, people are, I think, a lot, a lot busier. Um, so they're less likely to agree to do those things. Um, you know, also you have limitations of phone surveys where you know many households don't have landlines anymore. It's just mobile phones. Um, you know, even even my dad, who's in his mid seventies, doesn't have a landline anymore. He got rid of it. He never used it. He just uses his mobile phone, um, and that's increasingly more the case, particularly in younger age groups. Um, but I got this proof. It's true. It's true of the population, I think, um, as a whole. Um, I think, in, as well, increasingly, you have people who um, in cities live in apartments who aren't accessible to people knocking on their door because they, they need a security code to get into the building and, and things like that. So, the, the way we live has changed, and that's made it harder to access people who aren't interested in research. So more and more research relies on um, people who have opted in for research panels, um, either 
um, online. And online is definitely probably um, broadest scope of those um, with the ability to, to look for particular people that you're interested in talking to. Um, but, but it's not ex exclusively the way that it's done. Um, you, you'll still see that there's, there's people in shopping centres who will ask you questions and there's still, um, there will still be people who are encouraged through, through networks to, to take part in research, particularly um, qualitative research interviews are often um, recruited through snowballing. So people um, who are part of a target group um, will be encouraged to um, reach out to other people in their network to take part in research. Um, so I think in terms of how you approach people and get people to take part, it's really, it's again, understanding that audience um, and how to best target that audience. So if you're using um, people that are part of a panel or a list, often um, the group that they are part of will in, include incentives. So for a certain length survey that they complete, they will get so many credits into their account and then they can redeem those for awards. Um, when you're recruiting for um, in-depth interviews or focus groups, um, there's generally a cash payment that's, that's made to compensate people for their time. Um, so there's, there's lots of different things. There's often, you know, in, um, in less structured um, panels or, or groups of people, you often see things. So for example, if you have a client list that you wanted to go out to, you might encourage people to take part by offering um, a prize drop, something along those lines. Um, so there are lots of ways to encourage people to take part in research. Um, some of them are, are more successful than others, to, again, depending on the target group. The, the harder people are to find, the more you have to pay to get them. Um, there, there are other, also other things that you can do to, to encourage people to take part. So things like keeping surveys short. Um, people are much more likely to do a five-minute survey than they are to do a 50-minute survey, unless they're being rewarded extremely well. Um, so, you know, um, there, are, there are lots of things. Um, I think also as we do more and more online research um, in place of, of things that may have been done by telephone or in person previously, um, particularly in the last couple of years, um, the more interesting you can make a survey as well, the, the more likely people are to complete the whole survey rather than dropping out partway through. Um, and, and so you see, um, you know, particular um, effort put into the way surveys are presented, um, the way that um, questions are presented. So rather than having big grids of lots of statements or, or brands or, or things, um, keeping things easy to answer so that they can be answered on a mobile phone rather than having to sit down at a PC. They're all really important aspects in terms of how you keep people engaged, um, but, but accessing people is, is still can be, for particular groups, can still be one of the challenges of, of completing research. If you've got any good ideas, let me know. 
<laughs> I guess that like leads really well into the next question around budgets and mm -hmm. you know, how what what would you say is the minimum budget to do you know base research basic and then what would you say is like I, I mean you can't really cap it you said <laughs> if you, could, you have a, a massive amount of money but if you wanted to do a large large chunk of research mm -hmm. um for a, a large client you know what what would be the minimum and the maximum that you would say we're talking yeah so I think really there is research that can be done at, at any price point um, it's really around how we best spend that money. So if you have, if you have $5,000, there's research for you. If you have, if you have 20, 40, 60, 160, like there's, there's research for you. It's about using that, that money to get, um, the best results that we can. So I think, um, I think in research, there's lots of trade-offs. Um, when you're designing research, you need to be conscious of time, um, of budget, and of quality. And if you, if you have limited amounts of any of those, um, you run into problems. Um, it means that you have to trade off something else. Um, you know, if you have a really hard to reach target audience you can do it but it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of budget to get good quality um, you can you can do it cheap and fast but it's not going to be good quality research and so I think that those those three things really interact um, and I'm not I'm not saying that you can't do quality research at that lower end of that five thousand dollar mark um, but you need to con you need to consider how you're going to get the best quality you can for that budget, and it might mean that it takes longer, um, or it might mean that you um, focus on one one really important question rather than covering five things in your research. Um, so, um, I guess it, it again comes back to that that customizing the research to 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 all of those things you know, including the budget and including um what what are the important um things that feed into the research but also that you want to get out of the research um because there's no point in spending that five thousand dollars unless you're going to get um something useful you, you're better off doing your research every every second year and spending ten thousand dollars on it and getting something useful um if that makes sense I have a question. When it comes yeah. to designing surveys or discussion guides, mm -hmm. does it happen that a client wants to fit too much information? Yes. <laughs> too many questions. Because I can just imagine myself, I would be thinking, oh, this is my one shot to get to know everything there is. Yeah. Do you have any experience in that? And how do you manage that? Yeah, so I think that... Um, Firstly, it's, you need to communicate that. So um, you, you need to be really, really clear about the importance of sticking to the right questionnaire or discussion guide link um, in terms of um, engaging people and also making sure that they're adequate, adequately compensated for their time for, for completing your survey or, or doing your, um, your interview. Um, 
and I think that it's really important to to cover those things up front when you're designing the research um, because no you know no client wants to to have you come back later on and say actually our our survey is twice as long as it's as it's meant to be so it's going to cost us twice as much to get this into field you know like it's 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 not a good place to be um so I think that you know yes clients will always want to have every every question that um has that the that's come up in the last two months before they've they've come to you with their research included in their research because they want answers to all of this stuff um, and they want to learn as much about these people as they can while they while they have them and while while they're doing their survey so I think it um, by communicating kind of why it's important to to keep people engaged and um, keep people in the survey is really important. Um, the other thing that you find with things that are too long is that respondents get fatigued. And so if you have a long survey, then what you get at the end of the survey is a bit of rubbish anyway, um, because they're just trying to get through the end of the survey. Um, so keeping things as short and sweet as possible is really important. Um, in, in terms of managing that, if I feel that things are a bit long, um, I like to try and get priorities from the client around what are what are the must-haves, what are nice if we can, if we've got the time and we can keep them in, and what are the things that would be really lovely to have, but realistically they can wait till next time. Um, or we can have a different approach for them, you know, like if it's if it's just something that's of a bit of interest, maybe we can have a look at some desk research and see if there's other research that's been done um, that, that's quite similar to the information that they're looking for. You know, it's not necessarily going to be specific to their service, but there might be something that's done um, in, in that area that will give them some good pointers. You know, there are, there are always different approaches um, that we can that we can employ to make the most of budget. Um, so then once we have our priorities and we've written our discussion guide, um, there's, a, there's a few things from there. So I think um, there's a few little um, calculation tools that I like to use for questionnaires that give me a rough idea of how long a questionnaire will be based on how many, what percentage of the target respondents are likely to answer each question and what type of question it is, whether it's an open-ended question where they need to type something in, if it's a grid question where they've got to um, make a decision about a number of different brands, um, or if it's just a, a straightforward pick something from the code frame kind of list. Um, so that tends to give a good indication about how long something is. Um, and then from there, once, once we've, we're kind of happy that it's, it's pretty close to the right length, um, we will usually, when we go into field, we'll do a soft launch. So we'll, we'll get about around 10% of um, responses. So, you know, often that's around 30, 30 completes through a questionnaire. And that gives us a pretty good indication about how long the survey is running once people are actually um, into the survey and having to think about answers to those questions. Um, because sometimes when we're, we're designing questionnaires. We're so we're so close to 
the questions and the what it is that we, we want to get out of it, that it's hard to think about, well, actually someone's going to have to stop for two minutes and think about what how they're going to answer this question or, or those types of things. So that, that soft launch gives us a bit of um, real life data and in terms of understanding questionnaire length and making sure that we're happy that it's it's where it should be. And it's much easier um, at that point to negotiate, well, actually, we need to take that nice to, nice to have question out this time because we're tracking at 17 minutes when we're when we should be tracking at 15 minutes or you know, we're tracking it at six and a half minutes on our five minute questionnaire or, or those types of things. Um, and, you know, at that stage, those, those questions are written and can be filed away for the next time there's research. If we've got a bit of space, we can pop them in. That's really interesting, Jo. Thanks for that. Um, I know we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I was just going to ask you, a couple of times we've made um, mention of um, vulnerable groups or hard to reach mm -hmm. groups. And um, one of the trends that um, we've identified um, you know, through a lot of our work is um, a, real, a real growing interest in diversity and, and understanding more mm -hmm. than just the middle of the road type people um, mm -hmm. and, and really getting a, a, um, a fair and accurate representation of some of those groups of people who perhaps most need or most want a service or product, but are, are hard to get to for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, what do you, have you got any comments um, about getting to a true diverse representation and, and better, um, better representation in research? Yeah, I think, I think um, it's important and it's something that we're, I guess, increasingly recognising as researchers. Um, we have a really great research society who runs lots of um, courses and things so that we can learn about ways to increase um, diversity in our research. Um, and, you know, of, of those, those things that um, I've been part of, I think the most important thing that I've learned is that we need to ask the question. Um, because if we don't ask those questions, we don't know who we've got in our research. And so I think that's a really important first step um, to, to understand um, who makes up the research that, that we're already collecting um, because that gives us the opportunity to think about if there are um, groups that we're missing from our research um, and how we might best access those groups. But I think at the moment there's still um, a little bit of a lack of awareness about who's actually in our who's actually in our research and who's missing from our research. Um, so I think that's something that um, we're slowly changing. We're changing um, the ways that we ask gender questions. Um, we're, we're changing the way that we ask questions around um, disability and people who identify as having a disability. Um, those who access services and those versus those who don't. Um, there's still um, not a lot of being asked in research around, um, I guess, diversity of background. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if that's 
you know, the next the next place we'll go. And, you know, definitely I think for, for me, um, a really important one um, because it means that we're, we and our clients are potentially missing out on um, things that are important for whole groups of people. Um, so I think that's that's something that we 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 do need to focus on as part of our research. Um, but it's it's a tough one, um, and it come I think talking about the limitations of our our research. Um, it comes back to that question of how many questions can we get into this 10 minute survey or this five minute survey um, and how we're gonna prioritize those. So I think the benefit of having those questions in our surveys as part of our demographics um, is really, really strong um, because it, it, helps, it helps us and helps our clients to um, identify um, what they don't know that makes sense um yeah, but but it can be a hard sell to get those to get those questions in if, if our demographics questions are going to take two minutes of our survey that you know and we're spending two minutes at the beginning screening to make sure that we're getting the right target audience it then it then means that we've got six minutes of our 10 minute questionnaire to actually get into the nitty-gritty of of what it is that we want to know but I think without those things, um, our research isn't as good quality as it could otherwise be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, You're I guess the, it's, the right questions to the wrong people. Yeah, exactly um, right. So it's again, it's that it's that trade-off of quality and time and mm, and budget. Um, I love that triangle. I can yeah, really yeah, it's a, it's a really powerful thing. And um, when you need to make decisions in research it's important to think about how each of those things are impacted. Mm. Joe, you're an absolute wealth of knowledge. Uh, it is fantastic to have you as part of the LeapFrog research team. Um, and it's also fantastic to have you as part of Juntos Marketing's team. Um, thank you for being so generous with your um, <laughs> wealth of information and knowledge um, and experience. Um, fantastic for me and I'm sure the others feel the same yeah and you were very nice to me you didn't even give me any super difficult questions <laughs> I couldn't answer next time <laughs> <All right. laughs> thank you so much for listening to our very first episode of the marketing for good podcast if you had any questions about undertaking research budgets or what kind of research is right for your organization we hope we answered them and if you find we missed something drop us a line LeapFrog Research is our very own research branch at Juntos Marketing. Our research is often what fuels the strategy behind and content created within our award-winning campaigns. Are you looking to start 2022 off with a bang? Research or a brand, campaign, or content refresh could be your answer. Let's chat. We would be happy to help you and your organization grow your purpose and start your journey towards marketing for good.